0: this show is brought to you by go sim visit gosimcom best of the left to start saving 85 percent on calls when you travel abroad now welcome to the award-winning best of the left podcast with clips today from the daily show countdown with keith Olbermann, the rachel maddow show on the media the young turks and le show
1: Chairman of the Joint Chief of Staff, Admiral Mullen, will be out. Uh, and I'm going to get a chance to ask him about the one place that is on everybody's mind.
2: Yemen. The nation of Yemen. The terror trail
3: leads back to Yemen.
1: It's the subject of our new segment.
4: Uh, Yemen.
1: <laughs> so I'm sure that, uh, very nice. The people at Menin are thrilled with us right now. So, where is this new nexus of terror? Fire up the Google Maps with the flying and the zooming and the complete and total lack of context. Oh, Yemen is next to Oman. Oh, uh, yeah, I'm sorry, quick question. Where's Oman? I know that the Yemen thing complicates the war on terror, but on the plus side, getting attacked is really the only way we Americans. Learn about world geography. (laughs) But we've been in this situation before. Random country we've never really heard of attacks us. And there is a laundry list of reasons as to why it is an existential and hopeless situation. It's time, once again. If you'll join me. To play War on Terror Sad Libs, (laughs) a tragic game for ages nine to 99. Let's begin. I can assume Al-Qaeda cannot be stopped in Yemen because...
4: The government has been battling two other internal
1: wars. One with Shiite rebels in the north, and another with separatists in the south. Ooh, only two looming civil wars. There's hope for you yet, Yemen. And of course, the capital city, Sana'a. Sana'a is relatively stable, under government control. And what would happen if I left Sana'a? There's another Yemen, run not by the largely pro-American
4: Yemeni government, but well-armed tribes, many sympathetic to Islamic radicals and
1: militants. There's always another Yemen. (laughs) The country is a breeding ground for terrorism because...
5: 50% unemployment. Nearly half of the population under the age of 15.
1: Have we thought about deploying Hannah Montana? Of course, what's really going to make the fighting difficult is... Its mountains rise 4,000 feet above sea level in some areas. Mostly mountains, valleys,
4: caves, almost impossible to seal off. And the few roads that do exist are difficult
6: to travel.
1: (laughs) Can't we get in a war with paved countries? (laughs) and the antiquity that the unrest will most likely destroy is the
4: uniquely picturesque ancient quarter
1: one of the oldest in the world to top it off if america invades it will find itself in a world of i need a noun pooping <laughs> so that's yemen a place we'll be hearing about for 24 hours a day until we get bogged down there and the insurgency moves to Oman.
2: Clown, and this is clown college time. I mentioned this last night, but it deserves the full read. Simply put, Al-Qaeda thugs have no rights, none. They should be killed on the spot, and they are being killed by the drones. So if they're captured, they should undergo harsh interrogation and be placed in military prisons. Okay, were you planning to still put them in the military prisons after you killed them on the spot, or do you need to rephrase your plan? Seriously, Bill, we need to walk you through the idea of why we have trials. Ultimately, why we ask questions first and shoot later, it's not about rights, it's not about who's a thug, it's not about how much sadistic joy and the sickos like you get from the thought of harsh interrogation. It's so we get the right guy. Mankind figured this out thousands of years ago and replaced that old method of kill them, then ask them if they're guilty because the dead men proved to be mediocre at answering questions. And then it also turned out that often we were killing the wrong guys, which is inconvenient. Especially for them. Because under your system, all that has to happen is that somebody says, Hey, that Bill O'Reilly, he's an Al-Qaeda thug. And then under your system, the government will right, have the right to kill you on the spot. Now, Bill, if this still isn't clear, I'll draw you a picture in crayon. I'll messenger it over. Bill o the Thug, today's worst
3: person in the world. Send in the clowns those daffy laffy clowns send in those soulful and doleful schmaltz by the bowlful
6: President Obama, delivering a nationally televised, soberingly blunt assessment of what went wrong inside the U.S. government leading up to the attempted terrorist attack on Christmas Day.
7: The bottom line is this, the U.S. government had sufficient information to have uncovered this plot and potentially disrupt the Christmas Day attack, but our intelligence community failed to connect those dots. This was not a failure to collect intelligence. It was a failure to integrate and understand the intelligence that we already had. Now, I will accept that intelligence by its nature is imperfect, but it is increasingly clear that intelligence was not fully analyzed
6: or fully leveraged. That's not acceptable, and I will not tolerate it. President Obama today being not at all shy about calling out failure within his own administration where he saw it. And late tonight, Admiral Dennis Blair, President Obama's director of national intelligence, released a statement essentially accepting blame for what the president criticized and and pledging in dramatic language to fix it. Admiral Blair's statement says the intelligence community received the president's message today. We got it and we are moving forward to meet the new challenges. The system did not catch Umar Farouk Abdul and prevent him from boarding an airliner and entering the United States. We must be able to stop such attempts. The intelligence community has made considerable progress in developing collection and analysis capabilities and improving collaboration, but we need to strengthen our ability to stop new tactics, such as the efforts of individual suicide terrorists. The threat has evolved, and we need to anticipate new kinds of attacks and improve our ability to stay ahead of them and protect America. We can and we must outthink, out work and defeat the enemy's new ideas the intelligence community will do that as directed by the president working closely with our nation's entire national security team statement today from the director of national intelligence we got it he says during President Obama's speech today the president announced that some changes would be coming as a result of the failure to detect the Christmas Day attempt
7: Counterterrorism officials have reviewed and updated our terrorist watch list system, including adding more individuals to the no-fly list. And while our review has found that our watch listing system is not broken, the failure to add Abdul Muttalab to the no-fly list shows that this system needs to be strengthened.
6: What preceded President Obama's announcement today was a full week and a half of mostly unrebutted Republican attacks on the Obama administration's approach to the issue of terrorism. Worldwide
8: terrorist war is something we seem to have lost our focus on. There just seems to be a little reticence on their part to get into it when it involves the issue of terrorism. The Obama administration came in and said, we're not going to use the word terrorism anymore. We're going to call it man-made disasters,
6: trying to, you know, I think, downplay the threat from terrorism. Lost our focus on terrorism, downplaying it, reticent to address it. The barrage of criticism from the right since the Christmas Day attempt is that President Obama has let things slide. He's been soft on terrorism, the implication being unlike President Bush.
2: It's a 180-degree directional change in our uh, uh, in the way we look at terrorism, the way we react to terrorism, and the way we prosecute terrorism. I'm hopeful that the president will become forceful, that we will return back to the direction where we're
6: prosecuting the war on terrorism. We need to return back to the way that President Bush did it. If you want to get even more specific, the drumbeat now is that we need to go back to the way that President Bush did counterterrorism, specifically as of September
9: 12th, 2001. We have a responsibility not only in the Department of Homeland Security, but in all those multiple agencies across uh, the federal government to, to be as sensitive to the possibility of a terrorist attack Today, tomorrow, in the future, as we were on September 12th, 2001. We're not as sensitive. We don't have that sense of urgency, and it's about time we recommit ourselves to it. At the end of the day, uh, we need to get back to a September 12th mindset. We just have to maintain uh, a a basic focus, an elementary focus.
6: That is the implicit and sometimes explicit charge here, that President Bush somehow did it right and President Obama is somehow doing it wrong. It's worth noting that whatever we as a country were doing on September 12th and in the weeks after doesn't seem to have worked all that well. It was about three months after September 12th that we got the failed terrorist attack that was essentially exactly like the one that happened this Christmas Day. Three months after 9-11, Richard Reid tried to blow up a U.S.-bound airliner with explosives that had been hidden in his shoes. So whatever we were doing with our 9-12 mentality, it wasn't enough to prevent that. Our 9-12 mentality also wasn't able to prevent the growth and maturation of al-Qaeda in the Arabian Peninsula, al-Qaeda chapters in Yemen, Somalia. Saudi Arabia, strong enough to pull off major terrorist strikes like the raid on the U.S. consulate in Jeddah, Saudi Arabia in 2004, which left nine dead, the attack on oil company compounds in Al-Khubar in Saudi Arabia that same year that left 22 people dead, and the brutal murder of American engineer Paul Johnson, also in Saudi Arabia in 2004. An article in Sunday's Washington Post detailed the extent to which United States missteps in Yemen allowed al-Qaeda to expand and grow there as well. This super-focused 9-12 mentality that conservatives now say we need to return to also wasn't able to capture the perpetrators of 9-11. As we learned incidentally from last week's suicide bombing that killed seven CIA officers in coast Afghanistan, we are still looking for Osama bin Laden and Ayman al-Zawahiri. The Jordanian double agent recruited by the CIA was brought in to help U.S. officials find Zawahri. eight and a half years after our super focused 9-12 mentality. The danger in these Bush policies being romanticized and retroactively imbued with some sort of magical efficacy they didn't really have is that we may start putting those failed policies in place again. Today we heard President Obama announce a new program for screening passengers coming into the United States.
7: As of yesterday, the Transportation Security Administration, or TSA, is requiring enhanced screening for passengers flying into the United States from or flying through nations on our list of state sponsors of terrorism or other countries of interest.
6: That program was formally announced by the TSA this week. It calls for extra screening procedures for passengers traveling to the United States from 14 foreign countries. That type of program, of course, evokes roughly one of the things the Bush administration did starting in 2002, when John Ashcroft announced a new system wherein any male under the age of 25 from this list of countries would have to register with authorities if they were working or visiting or living in the United States. It was called the N-Sears system.
8: The N-Sears system is up and running at every port of entry into the United States. We have increased our capacity to intercept terrorists or criminals who attempt to enter the country. Today, I'm pleased to report
6: that the system is performing extremely well. That system that performed extremely well produced precisely zero terrorism prosecutions. But it did turn a whole lot of people against the United States for a lifetime. It might make us feel better to have that sort of list, but those countries we just scrolled on the screen, you might have noticed, uh, didn't include the nations of Jamaica or England. Remember the shoe bomber, Richard Reed? He was a British citizen born to a family of Jamaican immigrants. He was radicalized at a mosque in London. So our super focused 912 ta- mentality came up with a hugely costly, arguably quite counterproductive system that would not have screened out the next attempted bomber anyway. By the way, the new Obama administration list from the TSA also doesn't include Jamaica and England. Not that it should, not that there's anything special about Jamaica or England, but if we're trying to apply even the wisdom of hindsight here, doesn't it seem weird to build the same failed system all over again with the same known obvious loopholes? It's one thing to pound your chest and brag on profiling because it makes liberals mad and it makes you feel tough, but how does the fact that it doesn't actually work intrude on your macho macho feelings about it? The danger of the Bush administration's approach being lauded as this good, tough approach that we wish we went back to is that we'll currently increase the political appeal of emulating those failed approaches. Being gratuitously unconstitutional in order to look tough is not the same thing as actually keeping us safe, no matter how much Mr. Obama's critics might want it to be so.
10: Before Christmas Day, when a young Nigerian man with jihadist connections in Yemen allegedly tried to detonate explosives on a Detroit-bound airplane, there wasn't a whole lot of Yemen-centric reporting going on. Since then many of us have had to play catch-up and the media have done their best to provide
5: the tutorials
6: Coming up is Yemen the new terror front.
5: Yemen is an ideal incubator for terrorism. It is the poorest Arab country in the world. Is
8: Yemen the new breeding ground for terrorists targeting America? A look three minutes away.
10: But as often happens when a previously ignored part of the world is suddenly thrust into the media spotlight, there have been mistakes, exaggerations, and a general lack of context running through the coverage. Some of that is understandable and inevitable. The news hole simply can't accommodate a Yemen history lesson with every story. And most journalists are playing catch-up, too. It's enough to make a Yemen expert, blogger, and former editor of the Yemen Observer, Brian O'Neill, cringe as he watches the
11: coverage. There definitely is a kind of dread. We were very nervous about what the tone was going to be and basically just ignorance about Yemen. I mean, understandable ignorance because it hadn't really been in the news at all.
10: What is being reported about Yemen that you think is either explicitly wrong or which is just kind of misdirection
11: the media is focusing entirely on al Qaeda with a mention of oh and there 's a problem in the north and one in the south, whereas in Yemen itself al Qaeda is essentially a sideshow it 's the third most important of these of what we call the three rebellions. The one in the north takes a lot more of the government's time, and the one in the south is actually probably its biggest existential crisis, the one that really could force Yemen to no longer be the state that we know. We're focusing entirely on what should be done about al-Qaeda, what should the government of Yemen do about al-Qaeda, what should our government do, that's both giving al-Qaeda more power than they actually deserve to have, than they've actually earned, and ignoring the far greater
10: crisis. One of the factoids I keep hearing is that Yemen is uh, Osama bin Laden's ancestral homeland. What you may not realize is that Yemen is the ancestral
1: home
12: of Osama bin Laden. His
5: Yemen has a, a special place region. in the history of Al Qaeda. Osama bin Laden's father was born there, and Yemen, was the ancestral
12: of homeland of Osama
7: bin Laden himself. He's once again on al-Qaeda's front line.
11: When I hear that, you know, if I wasn't wearing headphones right now, steam would literally be shooting out of my ears. Like That is the the grandfather of all misleading clichés when people write about Yemen. It implies a certain weight, but it's completely weightless. The reason why there's al-Qaeda in Yemen has nothing to do with Osama bin Laden's father living there 70-some years ago.
10: Another apparently salient fact is the notion that Yemenis are armed to the teeth which sounds dangerous on the face of it, but you you believe lacks context.
11: It does. The cliché is that there's 60 million guns, there's a gun for every man, woman, and child... But it's not really the case. I don't want to underestimate the problem with the arms trade in Yemen. I mean, people do walk around with guns, but a lot of those guns are World War I, World War II era variety. They're part of tribal identification. You know, you see a picture in Yemen of somebody walking down the street carrying a rifle on his shoulder. Most of the time, that rifle can't shoot more than 30 feet, probably, if if it can shoot at all. Uh, Anything else for the, the checklist of conventional wisdom? Yes. When they talk about Yemen having an al-Qaeda presence since at least the bombing of the USS Cole in 2000, doesn't really recognize the fact that in about 2003, al-Qaeda was more or less destroyed. And since, then, since 2006, it's come back with the second generation of al-Qaeda, who are of a completely different breed than the one that we saw before. They're much more ambitious, much more ruthless, much smarter, and more patient. So it assumes this continuity of militancy where one doesn't actually exist. So on the Chaosometer. I um, mean, is it Somalia? Is it
10: Afghanistan? In terms of disorder and just sheer potential danger,
11: where does Yemen fall? Yemen falls much closer to the, the Somalia side on the, the chaosometer. It's closer to being a failed state, which Somalia clearly is. But I think, if you don't mind saying so, I think that the question in and of itself, when, when people ask that, is Yemen the next Afghanistan, it is kind of misleading. I mean, we saw that where, you know, when we were talking about Afghan policy, is did what work in Iraq will let work in Afghanistan? And so I think the problem is the media is so busy trying to figure out, is this next Afghanistan, the next Somalia, that they're not focusing on, as trite as this sounds, it's the current Yemen
10: So, in other words, I am guilty of asking exactly the kind of superficial, unavailing question that I've been quizzing you about. I am part of the problem, not part of the solution. (laughs) Is there, in fact, a a delicious or particularly trenchant fact about Yemen that you think should be part of the checklist of, of items to include in contextual stories about the country?
11: The fascinating thing about Yemeni history is that until 1962, it was essentially a medieval imamate, where people were still being beheaded as a form of punishment. And then as recently as 2004, 2005, it was the closest thing the Middle East had to a functioning democracy. It's really skirted both extremes of what we think of when we think of the Middle East.
10: So you've described a country that was fundamentally medieval into the 60s, which flirted with democracy more substantially than any other place in the Middle East, outside of, I guess, Israel, and is now a failed state. Can we assume that the state will collapse still further, or is there perhaps just another iteration of Yemen right around the corner?
11: It's possible that there could be. One of the problems that we had was when we first help them get rid of al-Qaeda, then we, we turned our back on them and didn't address any of the structural problems. So if we do help get rid of al-Qaeda again and help the development problems, it can get back to this possible democracy. But if we don't do anything, then I don't think there's a chance that Yemen will be anything but a failed state.
0: You're probably aware that if you use your cell phone while traveling abroad, you're gonna get raked over the coals with roaming charges. Well, I wanna give you another option. GoSim is a company that provides international SIM cards you can use in your own phone and load with prepaid minutes that save you about 85% on those international calls. The minutes never expire and can be used in 175 countries. In fact, in 75 countries, including all of Europe, you can receive calls and text messages for absolutely free. I sincerely encourage you to check out the deal at the special URL, gosim.com slash bestoftheleft. Be sure to use this address so they know I sent you. gosim.com slash bestoftheleft.
4: Uh, now, you know Fox News been going after Janet Napolitano and some all the right wing guys because she said that uh, uh, that the system worked in the beginning. Now, obviously she misspoke. That's a ridiculous thing to say because the guy got on the plane and the passenger tackled uh, the guy, and and it just lit on fire. It had the chemicals that he had, if it had exploded, the system would not have worked at all. She then later clarified, or as they say in political world, she walked back her statement by saying, "No, the system worked afterwards." Yeah, that's not really when we needed it to work. We needed to work beforehand. So they went ballistic after that, and I get that, right? Uh, But eventually, people came to the realization, you know, it's not really her job uh, as to who gets on planes or not. It's not the Department of Homeland Security. As Tom Ridge, the former Department of Homeland Security uh, head for Bush, explained that they don't gather the intelligence. uh, They just utilize it after it's been gathered. So people realized, no, we're going after the wrong... Person here. Now, they didn't mind that, like, whatever attack, and then we'll figure it out later. They're Republicans, right? But now they've decided on Fox News, in this case, Greta Van Sostrom with Carl Roth, they're going to go after the right guy. It's the intelligence guy. So, all right, good. That, this at least makes sense. Let's go to clip number two and listen, uh, th- listen to them go after this guy.
8: But somebody had the job, Carl, to coordinate all this information to one center place. I cannot believe that after 9-11, we didn't figure out that we have to have some sort of central well, we resource. Did. We did. Well, whoever's in well, charge of that, the, counter- well, who's in charge the Counterterrorism of that? Center is where the problem probably occurred. Because, look, there are lots of – we know that the, the State Department passed on the information. We know the CIA re- received it. We know that the, the Counterterrorism Center received it. They, they get a gigantic amount of data. And the question is, how do you pick out these pieces and understand them and analyze well, them? Somebody that and, job. And someone had that job. And so, so many people had that job. Because you can't trust one person at this. And there are lots of data streams that need to be evaluated simultaneously by different people. And it's probably an enormously complicated job. It is terribly difficult. But whoever had it apparently isn't up for the yeah. job. And for look. whatever reason. And, and I, you know, I might have failed worse than this person on more occasions. But I don't have that job. I haven't accepted that job. Whoever has that job really shouldn't be yeah. in that job. Well, Look, look no, that's, 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 that's a continuing problem that every day you have to work on.
4: Now look, they nailed it. Okay. It's the National uh, Counterterrorism Center. It makes sense. It really is. Okay. And so who has that job? They keep wondering. Well, we know who has it. It's the director of the National Counterterrorism Center. His name is Michael Leiter. Here's the problem. He was hired in two thousand and seven by George W. Bush.
11: Oopsie doopsie.
4: <laughs> yeah. See, Carl, you had a hand in hiring that guy. The guy you just agreed was the guy most responsible for this screw up. Congratulations. So now, here comes the very expected backpedal, 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 backpedal. Go ahead, Carl. Backpedal
8: away. Is it your sense, Carl, that we are nowhere near that mindset? No, we aren't. Um, in fact, uh, the biggest problem is not within the NCTC and oh, it's not. The, the intelligence community. The, no. Look, look I, I want to say one word of defense in the, in, uh, for them. There's a lot of information flowing through there. It seems to me this should have been caught, but there is a lot of information flowing through there and the expectation that human beings are going to be perfect 100% of the time or that the system of computers and algorithms and detection software is going to be perfect 100% of the time. Time is is just wrong. Well, we got We live in a dangerous world in which it is a complicated puzzle to find uh, actors like uh, the Christmas Day bomber. But uh, you know this system clearly broke down. To me, the problems are are you know are equally bad in the aftermath of it. The biggest decision with the judgment failure in my mind was the immediate decision by Holder and others to treat the Christmas Day bomber as a criminal defendant, not as an enemy combatant.
4: Oh, I love that. All of a sudden, it's not one person. I mean, who can you really blame? No, no, no. The fact that the guy got on the plane is no problem at all. No, no, no. It's what they did afterwards and how they're treating him as a defendant. <laughs> right, 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 right. By the way, the guy has confessed to everything. Treating him as a criminal defendant, who cares? It's going to be the easiest conviction of all time. Okay? We got the guy on the plane, and then he told us about all the things he did to try to bomb the plane and kill everybody. Okay, that's not the problem. The problem is the guy you hired let him on the plane in the first place. You know i did national characterists said so I wouldn't really blame them? I really? Carl, what changed your mind? Oh, you realize after your first appearance that you and George W. Bush hired that guy? Could that be it? Look, that Michael Leiter guy by the way, disastrous. Okay. Now, I'm not putting it all on him and the part Robe is right about is that it's a complicated You know, system, and everybody's got a hand in it, and you really got to figure out what went wrong in the system. Okay, and Obama says, and that's largely true, right? But Leiter's not helping himself. You know what he did after the this bombing incident? He took a vacation, a skiing vacation, and people were getting on him, saying that he was on vacation during it. And the rest of the Obama administration goes to defend him and say, no, 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 he took his annual six-day leave after the event. If I was the director of National Counterterrorism Center, I'm not sure I would have gone on my ski vacation right after this event. I might have delayed it. I know you've probably been looking forward to it for a while, but have some sense. Put some thought behind it. Now, look. Remember, Bush hired a guy, but Obama kept him. So you got to keep it real. You know, everybody's at fault here. If you didn't think the guy was up to the job, why'd you keep him? Okay. So th- that responsibility goes all around. Okay. But I loved Rose backpedal. I loved when he realized, oops, that was our guy. For
3: being wrong, then it's just a shame on me. i Stay busy till you heard from Dad. When you would rather be home with all your kids. It's one big family with love and bliss. And even though Pops treated us like kings, he got a second wife and you didn't agree. He got up and left you there all alone. Sorry that you had to do it on
2: your own. But our winner Sherman Frederick Publisher of the newspaper, the Las Vegas Review Journal, writing a column about it that no self-respecting newspaper would have printed, not one that employed a fact-checker anyway, but then again, he's the publisher who's going to stop him. For three days, our president failed to address his people directly on Abdul-Muttalab's failed effort to blow up a commercial flight over Detroit on Christmas Day. All of this on top of President Obama's noticeable refusal to characterize our struggle as a war on terror. In the wake of fierce criticism, Obama now talked tough about keeping America safe, but in the two cases of domestic terrorism since 9-11, both on Obama's watch. Red flags flew aplenty. All right, it was three days after an attempt on an airliner until Obama formally smoked, spoke. It was six days after an attempt on an airliner until Bush formally spoke. And Obama has now made 37 uses of the root word terror in his six statements about Detroit. Oh, and the two cases of domestic terrorism since 9-11, both on Obama's watch. Publisher Sherm apparently missed those pesky anthrax terror attacks in the winter of 2001-2002 and the shoe bomber terror attack, and if you're counting Detroit, you've got to count the shoe bomber, and the 2002 terror attack on the LL Al ticket counter at LAX, and the DC sniper terror attacks in 2002, and the guy who drove his SUV into a group of pedestrians at Chapel Hill to honor his role model Muhammad Atta in 2006. It's one thing if some greasy politician gets the memo and parrots this crap in public, but this guy owns a newspaper, which would obviously be better off if he delivered it rather than tried to write for it. Sherman Facts Optional Frederick, the publisher of the Las Vegas Review Journal, today's worst person in the world.
6: The reason you have seen a lot of Michael Steele on TV recently is because he's promoting a new book, which is called Right Now. Uh, Its subtitle is more interesting. The subtitle is a 12-step program for defeating the Obama agenda. 12 steps, just like AA. Uh, The first and second steps, according to Mr. Steele, are that Republicans should admit we have a problem, then admit our mistakes. In the spirit of trying to help Mr. Steele out, so maybe someday he'd come on this show, we have decided to try to help Republicans out with steps one and two. We have identified a problem that we'd like to help Republicans admit to, because it is a political mistake. Former Vice President Dick Cheney has encouraged Republicans to believe that President Obama and his administration don't talk about war and terrorism. Senator Jim DeMint of South Carolina, Congressman Pete Hookstra of Michigan, even Chairman Admit Our Mistakes, Michael Steele, have all been out in public reiterating that, insisting that it's true even though it's really not. Congressman Peter King of New York has even taken this assertion to, as Mr. Steele would say, beyond the cutting edge.
11: Name one other specific recommendation the president could implement right now to fix this.
2: I think one main thing would be uh, to, uh, uh, just himself, to use the word terrorism more often.
6: Use the word more, because saying something a lot stops it. Regardless of whether it makes sense that saying the word terrorism would magically stop terrorism, uh, consider that it's not at all true that President Obama avoids using the term.
7: Suspected terrorist, terrorist watchlisting system, terrorist, or suspected terrorist connections. State sponsors of terrorism, terrorist watchlist system, attempted terrorist attack, attempted act of terrorism, known and suspected terrorists, terror and extremism, extremists sowing terror, instability and terror, terrorists and potential terrorist attacks.
6: Okay, because people like Congressman Peter King have been able to get away with claiming that President Obama never says words like terror and terrorism, which is a lie, uh, people including Peter King are getting boldly, weirdly specific about that lie now.
12: I remember Secretary uh, Clinton saying that uh, the policy of the administration was not to talk about terrorism. Even when the president gave a speech at West Point uh, about the troops going to Afghanistan, he didn't use the word terrorism.
6: When Congressman King says those things, he is lying. He's lying in a way that can be obviously, demonstrably, embarrassingly proven by anyone who has a spare 45 seconds and the Google.
12: I remember Secretary uh, Clinton saying that uh, the policy of the administration was not to talk about terrorism. Even when the president gave a speech at West Point uh, about the troops going to Afghanistan, he didn't use the word terrorism. There is a
8: terrorist syndicate with al-Qaeda at the head. Continuing threat of terrorist actions, stop terrorism, terrorists uh, on the plane coming
7: into Detroit. Al-Qaeda's terrorist network, Iraq and terrorism, new acts of terror, loose nuclear materials from terrorists, safe haven for terrorists, and devastation attacks of terrorism
6: when the people in the Republican Party who have the highest profile on national security say things that are easily provably flagrantly false that's a mistake that makes it look like the party doesn't know what it's talking about on national security issues Peter King wants to be a senator Peter King is their top guy on homeland security So in the interest of trying to help Republicans out, and to woo Mr. Steele to do an interview on the show, uh, here's my one-step effort to try to help Republicans recognize this political mistake they keep making. You guys, when you say that President Obama doesn't use the word terrorism, try to remember that when you say that, people are laughing at you. Maybe this will help.
7: The inconsistency in, in the
4: Obama administration's approach to foreign policy, particularly with respect to terrorism, is a concern. If you can't call a thing what it is, then there's a question about what do you think it is.
8: The worldwide terrorist war is something we seem to have lost our focus on. There just seems to be a little reticence on their part
2: to get into it when it involves the issue of terrorism. Okay.
8: The Obama administration came in and said, we're not going to use the word terrorism anymore. We're going to call it man-made disasters.
6: Trying to, you know, I think downplay the threat from terrorism. Seriously, listen to your chairman. Admit you have a problem. Admit your mistakes. Or at least come up with a new mistake.
0: This episode is brought to you by Groupon, and I promise that you're going to be thanking me for telling you about it. Groupon uses the economic buying power of large groups of people as leverage to get huge discounts, usually between 50 to 80% off great services, restaurants, activities, and more in 45 major cities across the U.S. You only buy what you want, and you pay nothing for the privilege of being alerted of new great deals every day. Support this podcast by visiting bestofleft.com and clicking the Groupon button so they know I sent you. See how it works, reap the benefits, and thank me later.
1: I do hope you guys had a restful holiday. Uh, how could you not with news like this?
8: An Al Qaeda
1: plot to blow up a US airliner on Christmas Day. Have yourself a merry little... Ah! My God, once again, the industrious souls of Al Qaeda. Trying to spread a little Christmas fear throughout the land, but this terror plot didn't come from their workshop at the Afghanistan-Pakistan border.
8: The bomb was built and the plot organized by al-Qaeda leaders in the country of Yemen.
3: Yes!
1: We got us a new front in the war on terror! It's a fresh wave of airborne jihadism. And the subject of tonight's...
4: By Yemen.
1: Get that out
8: of your head you can't
1: <laughs> so what of the al-qaeda masterminds of terror 2.0 cook up
8: federal investigators say the man accused of the attempted bombing umar abdul mutaleb hit a powerful explosive powder in specially
5: made underwear
1: <laughs> so even if the bomb works there's gonna be 72 very disappointed virgins <laughs> We got us a new martyr, ladies. Hey, let's a... Uh, oh. oh. Oh, I see. Now, whenever there's an incident like this, the question is always, could we have seen it coming? But in this case, a Nigerian guy from Yemen with doomsday underpants <laughs> it seems to come out of nowhere.
7: As early as August of 2009, the Central Intelligence Agency was picking up information on a person of interest dubbed the Nigerian.
8: The suspect already on a US terror watch list. Put there after his father, a Nigerian banker, told the US 5 weeks ago that he was worried his son was becoming radicalized.
1: Okay. Um All right. I too have a tendency to ignore messages from Nigerian bankers who wish to help me. They show up in person and aren't asking for a money order, but instead turning in their own son. Maybe that conversation doesn't get filed under spam.
0: His visa had been yanked by the British. He bought, paid cash for his ticket. Yeah,
8: it was a one-way ticket. He
7: paid nearly three thousand dollars in cash for his plane ticket and checked no bags. What the? F-
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's December. He's going from Nigeria to Amsterdam to Detroit without a coat? (laughs) With a one-way ticket? Oh, do you think he's going to Detroit to start a better life? (laughs) What do you think he's going there? Because he heard there's lots of jobs. You know what intelligence community, meet me at camera three. All right, I know you guys are busy. Those 300 million Americans can't wiretap themselves, but remember something. (laughs) This guy, Richard Reid, the shoe bomber, he paid cash, he flew one way, he had no luggage from a European capital, and tried to blow up a plane with PETN explosives hidden in his shoes eight years ago. So now, eight years later, the Lex Luthor-like geniuses of Al-Qaeda decided, (laughs) uh... I get an idea. This time, why don't we have a guy pay cash and fly one-way no luggage from a European capital with the PET and explosives hidden under his nutsack. <laughs> In eight years, all they did was move the explosive up whatever the inseam measurement is. 28, 32 inches, maybe 46 inches a year. Changing nothing else about the modus operandi. Uh, I'm Al-Qaeda, and I'm saying, uh, well, we tried the shoes. Uh, how about something like this? What do you think like this? How about something like this hey what if he just walks on there like no 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 these 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 are my books these are my books oh wait wait finally in year eight they decide hey I got an idea right oh yeah I got an idea now look I realize security will never be hundred percent we don't expect you to catch everything but we do expect you to catch the exact same thing the nigerian with no luggage on the watch list with a taint full of gunpowder <laughs> that's not even clue that's clue jr that's blues clues <laughs> at least we caught the guy eight years ago we depended on passengers to subdue plane terrorists at least we've come a long way since then
6: the suspect identified as umar Farooq abdul Mutalib
0: was tackled by passengers and apprehended
1: So in eight years, we've had two wars to overthrow terror-supporting regimes, trillions of dollars, thousands of lives, and our best defense against terrorism continues to be Alert Passenger Tackles Guy trying to light his (laughs) So the national security system failed. Luckily, the knee-jerk partisan blame system was in perfect working order.
8: The president waits 72 hours before we hear from him, and it is, it's is over 72 hours from the time of the incident to the time that the president spoke today.
1: Unbelievable! 72 hours! The time it took President Obama to talk about this. Jack Bauer could have caught the terrorists three times in that period! <laughs> I'll tell you what, it was different when old Karl Rove's boss was in charge. And some other guy, Richard Reed, tried to blow up that plane. Bush got right out there and talked about it after only six days. Which is much less than 72. But it took true visionaries to figure out who the real villains were in this case. Words. Words.
2: This president has been on television more than any president in history over the last year, and yet the
8: silence on this issue, almost as if they don't want to talk about terrorism. The Obama administration came in and said, we're not going to use the word terrorism anymore. We're talking about American citizens on a plane with a terrorist, and they're not calling him a terrorist.
1: See, you just got to call him it, <laughs> and we're safe. <laughs> Great point, Dan Burton. We need to treat this guy the way Bush treated the Richard Reed terrorist guy, where he was given a lawyer and went through the American court system and is now in jail. Hey! You know what? All you guys meet me at camera three, two. First of all, I'm sorry I have no bomb to stick under his nutsack anymore. I'm already done. I had a lot of people doing it earlier. Uh, listen, I know that Democrats are weak on terror is your go-to argument, but what exactly would you have this president do Should Barack Obama delay closing Guantanamo? Check. Maybe he should send more troops to Afghanistan? Done. How about strike terror bases in Yemen? Done. How about a secret tunnel underneath Saudi Arabia that will steal their entire oil supply? Nearly done. (laughs) But your big problem is that Obama is not saying war on terror? Be honest, that's just looking for something to criticize. If he did call it a war on terror, you'd probably say the inflection was wrong. Uh, it's a war on terror. <laughs> not that you can't criticize the president over terrorism.
8: This president is doing everything in his power to go after the Al Qaeda network and the terrorists around this world. And for the United States Senate, any senator or any congressman to start attacking him because of uh, he's not doing enough is just is just a, a terrible error.
1: Another great point, Dan Burton, of five to six years ago. You know, it's very clear that you idiots have no memories and giant (laughs) Really big (laughs) What are you hiding under them? I want
11: answers.
3: Well, I'm upper, upper class, high society ballroom notoriety And I always fill my ballroom The event is never small The social pages say I've got the biggest balls of all is full and everybody comes and comes again if your name is on the guest list no one can take you higher everybody says i've got great balls of fire i've got big balls oh
5: i've got big balls welcome got... to i dare you to ignore the fact i just said something unspeakably ignorant You already know who who won this this competition. The, the, the competition is closed. The, the statuette has been awarded. On Friday's Good Morning America on ABC, Rudy Giuliani, who never failed to mention 9-11 during every one of his appearances when he was campaigning for president in 2008, said on Good Morning America, Quote, we had no domestic attacks under Bush. We've had one under Obama. And George Stephanopoulos, the his in- interviewer, just moved right along. Didn't notice that Rudy said it. Didn't ask him about it. Would this suggest that TV interviewers don't listen to the answers to the questions they pose? An unnamed spokesman for Giuliani said that the remark, quote, didn't come across as it was intended. Adding he was clearly talking post 9-11 with regards to Islamic terrorist attacks on our soil. Whatever the mayor meant, it's not what he said, said George Stephanopoulos in a blog post where he also acknowledged. All of you have pointed out, I should have pressed him. On that misstatement in the moment, we right. My mistake, my responsibility. I dare you not to notice that I've just said something unspeakably ignorant.
7: every American, every elected official can do our part. Instead of giving in to cynicism and division, let's move forward with the confidence and optimism and unity that defines us as a people. For now is not a time for partisanship, it's a time for citizenship. A time to come together and work together with the seriousness of purpose that our national security
6: demands. Turns out not everyone's on board with that, unless you think coming together in a nonpartisan way as citizens and showing a seriousness of purpose about national security means blaming the problem of terrorism on health care reform. Really. An actual politician actually did that today, a United States Senator, in fact. Senator John Cornyn, chairman of the National Republican Senatorial Committee, put out this statement in response to the president today. He said, quote, I worry that the president's preoccupation with health care and other domestic issues has distracted him from what should be the fundamental role of our chief executive, keeping our nation and its citizenry safe from harm. In other words, hey, is there any way we can use this attempted terrorist attack as an excuse to try to stop health reform? What, is it too soon? Today, Republicans from John Cornyn, to Michael Steele, to Pete the human civ hookstra, to John Boehner, to Michelle Bachman, to Mike Rogers, to even little Todd Teahart, for crying out loud, all put out statements attacking President Obama on terrorism within moments of the president's remarks. As I said, John Cornyn's statement used terrorism to argue against health reform. Michael Steele's statement said Obama needs to recognize that terrorism is a threat. Because he doesn't? Pete Hoekstra's statement said he wants more intel released about Fort Hood, this coming from the guy who was too busy campaigning for governor in Michigan to actually attend a congressional briefing on Fort Hood. John Boehner's statement said the administration has reverted to a pre-9-11 mentality, as evidenced by the Obama administration trying the underpants bomber in civilian court just like the Bush administration did after 9-11. Michelle Bachmann's statement said something, I'm sorry to say, was incomprehensible about lawyering up. Mike Rogers' statement said the Obama administration isn't committed to defeating terrorism. And little Todd Teahart put out a statement saying Janet Napolitano should resign, and it was God that stopped the underpants bomber. No, really. He said it was God who stopped the underpants bomber and I'm quoting, were it not for an act of God, hundreds of lives would have been lost and our nation paralyzed. The time has come for Secretary Napolitano to immediately resign. Do you notice that there were no ellipses there? That's just, that's the way it went, that statement. That's really what he said. Janet, Napolita, Janet Napolitano should resign and God gets a medal. You know, it's not like there were a ton of really rational responses from the Republican Party that I ignored in order to come up with this little compilation. This was pretty much the response from the opposition party today to the president's announcement on terrorism. This is what they've got to offer. God did it. Obama doesn't want to stop terrorism. When Bush did what Obama's doing, I was okay with it. Something inexplicable about lawyering up. And can we stop health reform now? That's what they're offering on terrorism. The president is back to pretty rhetorical flourishes about not being red states or blue states, but being united in serious purpose to face the policy challenges of the United States. I hope he is not holding his breath. Joining us now is David Korn, Washington bureau chief of Mother Jones magazine, columnist for PoliticsDaily.com, and my buddy David. It's good to see you here. Thanks good for coming in. Good to you, you Rachel. Um, what would have happened if uh, Democrats reacted to the shoe bomber uh, back in 2001, 2002 the way Republicans have reacted to the underpants bomber?
9: I think it's fair to say that Dick Cheney would have arranged for secret trials and would have sent them all to Gitmo. <laughs> I, I remember those days. I mean, they didn't. The Democrats did not respond this way the, way the way that Republicans have responded for the last two weeks. Yeah. I mean, no one doubted that George Bush was serious about terrorism. Maybe they doubted his policies and they became obsessed with Iraq rather than Al Qaeda. But you know yesterday, Liz Cheney put out a statement. You remember Liz mm-hmm. Cheney, who sort of is, seems to be the medium, you know, channeling her, her, her father. You know, and I have it here. He said, it's time for the president to make defending the nation his top priority. Now, how many weeks did President Obama spend on getting Afghanistan strategy organized? We may not like what he decided, but it seemed to be a, a pretty much a top priority. And in terms of those predator drone attacks that hitting Pakistan, he's overseen far more of those than Bush Cheney did in their last year in office. So, I mean, they can keep making these rhetorical points because maybe they play on some old prejudices about Democrats being weak on national security, but they have no basis in fact.
6: Well, and and some of the not basis in fact is more pronounced than others. Rudy Giuliani, for example, went on CNN last night and said that the shoe bombing happened before 9-11. And that explains the difference in approach. It's a total lie and a weird one. Uh, Peter King, Jim DeMint, all these guys keep saying that uh, President Obama won't use the word terrorism, which is also a total lie and a weird one. Is there a cost, ultimately? to that? Or, or does everybody just lie all the time in politics well, and even the flagrant ones don't count for well, extra? Well, you know, people
9: get away with these lies all the time. I think the cost is to the, you know, to the national discourse overall. I mean, these are serious issues, and there are real issues. National security versus civil liberties. There's actually a case to be made about trying people as enemy combatants as opposed to keeping them in, in, a, in, a, in civil criminal trials. I understand these are tough arguments, but we can't have them in a serious fashion and get to the best outcomes if you're throwing in weird lies like this. It shows that they're not really serious. If they want to engage, there's plenty to engage on. You know, there are questions about, you know, what to do with Guantanamo and so on that are very hard to
6: wrestle with issues, but they're not serious. I have have to tell you, David, I, I, without being snarky, I despair over this. I despair over this because there are real fights to have over the response to terrorism. You know, there are real fights to have over health reform, but what did we do? We followed the Republicans' lead and spent all that time talking about death panels, panels, which is made up. Government
9: takeover. Yeah. yeah,
6: And on on climate change. There's a lot of interesting ways to talk about the right way to respond to that. But instead, it's climate gate. It's all made up. Following the Republican framing into nonsense land. And we've ended up talking about stuff that is not real instead of talking about policy. I want to have policy fights. I don't want to be fighting with people who refuse to acknowledge reality.
9: Michael Steele put out a statement within half an hour of the president's speech today. So he did not even take an hour to think about what would be the reasonable Republican response. It was obviously ready to go beforehand. It shows, you know. Uh, uh, listen, these are these are existential questions for the United States, yeah. and they, you know, whether it's Afghanistan or fighting Al Qaeda and others, these are big things. If you can't put an hour worth of brain power into figuring out what you should do, and maybe actually you could say once in a while, well, I kind of agree with what the president said, or I disagree with here, I agree with that, but you know, without making everything a partisan attack. And I know it's his job to be partisan, but if all we do is see things through that prism, we won't reach the
6: answers that we need to for these big challenges. I am totally okay with partisan attacks. I actually, I love partisanship. I think partisanship helps. What I don't like is when we don't agree on the facts at hand. And the fact is, you know what? The shoe bomber was after 9-11. I'm sorry, you you, can put it on a calendar. That's not a fight.
9: You you can't do anything about that. You really, there's no response. And what it does is it muddies up the waters. And unfortunately, there is an audience out there that will follow, whether it's Rudy Giuliani, Michael Steele, or Tiny Todd <laughs> that's hard to say I admire you for that um, I mean there are people out there unfortunately who, 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 who follow this and who believe in death panels and I think you know there's a certain degree of exploitation here because I do think that you know Rudy Giuliano Michael Steele people in leadership roles should know better <laughs>
0: Thanks for listening, everybody. I have a uh, big, exciting news about the show today. Uh, now, this big news is not to be confused with the big news that I've talked about in the last couple of shows and will not be referencing today. The big news today is that just since, since the last episode was posted, Best of Left has rolled over to just more than 2 million downloads since its inception. All of the episodes stretching all the way back and all the downloads for all of those just broke 2 million. So what I was thinking is that it would be really nice to brag about this because, you know, frankly, in the past, I've, I've been really poor at promoting myself, you know, personally, just to people I meet or whatever. I, you know, I don't do that great of a job of hyping the show up. But this gave me the idea I should really, you know, promote the show a little bit. And as any longtime listeners know, I come up with ideas really slowly. One could argue that I should have had this idea somewhere in the vicinity of a million downloads ago. It's a unique way to measure time, I know, but I probably should have had this idea earlier. In any case, I want to put the call out. If there are any graphic designers out there who would like to donate a couple of hours to the show, it would be really nice to, to put up some sort of uh, you know, fun, interesting graphic that fits nicely on the website and brags about all the great stuff the show's been doing recently, passing 2 million downloads, winning the Best Produced Podcast Award, and so forth. So I just want to put that out there. If there's anyone out there who wants to help out uh, with a little bit of graphic design, that would be awesome. Uh, I couldn't possibly do it myself, so that could just be a, a fun little project to, You know, that would probably take a couple of hours for someone who actually knew what they were doing. If that someone is you, drop me a line. For today, if you have no way to see the bonus content with this show, I feel bad for you. Uh, First of all, of course, anyone who has the iPhone or iPod Touch application, definitely check out the bonus content for today. It's a fantastic clip from Stephen Colbert, and it, it pains me to not be able to have included this clip in the show it's just too visual it's the 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 power of it, it it's just not there when you only listen to it so bonus content in the in the application check that out members of course already had it uh, put in their bonus raw feed the name of the clip is ideal or no deal and frankly you know obviously i'm making it easy for anyone who has the application or is a member to have gotten it But if you you haven't seen it and you're not a member or anything like that, go check out the the clip called Ideal or No Deal on Stephen Colbert's website. It's really worth checking out. It's just poignant and devastating and excellent. Speaking of members, I want to thank uh, Cynthia C., who signed up on November 1st, and Leah J., who signed up December 7th. Both of these fine people have signed up for a year membership, which I love. Thanks so much for having so much faith in the show that you want to support it for an entire year. As I just mentioned, of course, members get uh, access to the Best of the Left raw feed, which includes all the clips that go into the show, um, a little bit of audio, a lot of video content, which, of course, you don't get with the regular show. You get to see the video content and some bonus material, including that great Colbert clip I just talked about. All of that in the members-only raw feed as their bit of bonus material for helping support the show financially. Details on membership, of course, are on the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. So that is it for today. There are so many ways I mean, besides membership, there's so many ways to support the show. First and foremost, telling all your friends about it. You know, without you guys telling your friends, we never would have made it to 2 million downloads. It just wouldn't have happened. Um, well, I guess mathematically speaking it probably would have happened it just would have taken a lot longer to get there but that's not all besides telling your friends and you know donating or becoming a member there are other things you can do to help support the show just check out the support the show box on the right hand side of the website if you're not already subscribed there's also a huge number of ways to subscribe to the show check out all of that information also the right side of the website and to stay connected between the shows we're active on twitter and facebook So, you can join in the conversation there. Finally, the links to all of the sources and probably more importantly to you, the music used in the show is always listed in the show notes on the website for every single show. So, coming to you from inside the Beltway and border, yet outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C., my name is Jay, and this has been the Best of the Left podcast delivered to you every Wednesday and every weekend. Thanks entirely to the members and donors from (laughs) bestoftheleft.com.
3: black and white cause You took apart a picture That wasn't right Pitch burning On a shining sheet The only maker That you want to meet A dying man In a living room Who shadow bases The floor will take you out
12: Hi, my name is Mike. Could I have your ears for a real short rant? This message is totally unsolicited. In fact, the only way you could be hearing my message right now is because Jay heard this very same recording and gave me a little space. So, thanks, Jay. Hey, talk about penny-pinching in this economy. I've whittled down a normal middle-class existence to my current bare-bones income, and I do it on early Social Security retirement. That's 25% less than regular Social Security. $5 is a lot of money to me, but I consider it important enough to give those dollars to Jay every month to further his great program, the twice-weekly Best of the Left podcast. So if you could possibly squeeze a subscription into your budget, do it hey if i can come up with a fiber every month i think most people can and if you can't keep listening do those free things that jay asks you to do and then subscribe when you can thanks